Get ready for chills and thrills at Hometown Haunts and Hops Horror Convention here in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Join us for a spine-tingling day of horror-filled fun on October 28th at the Mayflower Brewing Company. Meet horror actor Matthew G. Taylor from Resident Evil and dive into a macabre world of cinema and literature. Sip on chilling brews, indulge in ghastly treats, and immerse yourself in a haunted atmosphere. Whether you're a horror buff or just seeking an unforgettable experience, Hometown Haunts and Hops has it all. Don't miss out on the eerie excitement. Secure your tickets now by heading on over to inebriart.com. Go to our events calendar, and in October you will find the link for Hometown Haunts and Hops, which is sponsored by HalloweenNewEngland.com. HalloweenNewEngland.com is the website for the truly Halloween-obsessed with the most extensive guides to New England haunted houses, ghost tours, classic horror film screenings, jack-o'-lantern festivals, haunted hayrides, and more. They've got all the thrills covered throughout September and October with over 2,500 Halloween events on their events calendar and hundreds of local Halloween attractions. It's the only place you'll find everything from haunted history tours and costume contests to which haunts are open on Thursday nights. HalloweenNewEngland.com has your Halloween covered and is sponsoring Hometown Haunts and Hops this year. Welcome back, Inebriate. Uh, this is your host, Andy, as always. We've been on a long string of assorted actors and writers and musicians who I didn't know ahead of time. Um, today's guest is a little different. Um, I actually follow today's guest on TikTok and have been enjoying his content. Uh, Michael Corey of Props to History. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. How do you do? Uh, I'm doing great today. Um, it's so it's funny. Um, I think the algorithm sent me your channel because I'm a big Adam Savage fan, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. oh my god, it's it. This is he's just like Adam Savage, and then lo and behold, um, Adam Savage was on your channel. He you were on his. Um, so uh, props to history. Uh, you're a prop master. Is that the correct term? Yeah, I am a, a prop master and a prop maker and special effects artist in the uh, TV, film, and theater industry. Um, as of late, because of the strike, I've been doing a lot more stage work, but I actually mm-hmm. uh, actually got started doing work uh, on the stage, uh, doing prop work and set design and set decoration um, probably 10 years ago as sort of a side gig. Um, I'd, I'd always really wanted, I never set out to work in theater at all because uh, I, I was an aircraft mechanic for almost two decades before I did this and uh, it's a bit of a strange uh, career transition and then when I started posting to social media uh, like so many people you know it went nowhere and it was just sort of a part of the hobby until one day it stopped doing that and then I started getting hired for work on shows like Magna P.I. and um, 
the film Babylon, uh, and and it's sort of steamrolled since then. And then, of course, the strike brought all that to a screeching halt. <laughs> so, back to the theater it is. Yeah. So right now I'm I'm back to working theater for now until the strike ends. But yeah, it's 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 been a weird career change, but uh, it's uh, it it's still a lot of people don't realize it's fairly new uh, for me. I've not worked full time in the industry, but maybe two years. Oh wow! So it's super new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't uh, like I said, I didn't set out to do this for a living. It just sort of happened. And um, it had always been something I had wanted to do on the periphery, but it was not something I ever thought I could pursue. And uh, the weirdness of social media actually made it happen. I-, I love that kind of like organic way things evolved. I mean, it's very much how, you know, I always say anything we do is always by accident. Because someone comes up and be like, hey, do you know what you should do? And we're like, well, that sounds like fun. Let's give that a try. <laughs> sounds and, right. Yeah. And then it just becomes like another thing that we do. Uh, you mentioned the strike. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is mm-hmm. um, you were one of the first people to come across my feed that was um, not just uh, supporting the strike, but explaining it. Because uh, one of the first things, my first questions I had, I hit up our editor and was like, do we have any actors, you know, lined up already recorded? Because I'm like, I'm not sure if we can put those out. Um, so that kind of, I, I can't remember if you or someone else addressed it, but it, be, you know, some people ad- ended up addressing it. But mm-hmm. you know, so as far as why is Adam Conover so mad? <laughs> well, I, Adam, Adam Conover, he's a writer. You know, he's yeah. a member of the WGA. Uh, he's also done acting work. I'm not sure if he's a member of SAG or not, but. Um, WGA went on strike for a, a great many reasons. Uh, one of the biggest ones was was the use of AI to replace writers. Uh, the number of writers that could be hired or would be hired on a production, and the biggest issue, the biggest driving force behind this, is residuals when it comes to streaming. Because mm-hmm. a writer puts in their time, puts in their effort, puts in their work to create, you know, to use their imagination and their talent to create these shows, and then when they're streamed, which a lot of stuff is streaming, the the studios keep all that money. They don't pay them. Whereas right. if it was released in a traditional sense, like on NBC or CBS or one of the networks, they would be paid uh, residuals. And the last writer strike, if you recall that, is really when residuals became a very strong thing. But during that, streaming was still very new and it was called new media. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you know, we, we don't know how to figure it out for residuals, but it's all new. And at that time, streaming was pretty much just like how-tos and vlogs. It really wasn't what it is today. And it was a good faith agreement that it would be revisited in the future, that if there was streaming shows that came along, that writers would be paid. Well, the billionaires that are in charge and the AMPTP have basically said, fuck you guys. Uh, we're not going to pay you a dime. Uh, we're going to keep all that money because we're dragons and this is our hoard of gold and we're not giving it up. And it's it's it was became such a matter of contention that the strike happened. And then it was very similar issues with the actors. When the Screen Actors Guild went on strike, it was a matter of replacing actors with AI. They, they wanted to replace background actors with AI entirely, mm-hmm. which is utterly uh, draconian and archaic. It's just absolutely ridiculous that they wanted to do that, to own a background actor's image in perpetuity 
and pay them for one day of work and then put them in as many shows as possible and then not pay actors residuals for streaming. So it's really come down very heavily. And it is of course not the only issue of actors, writers, professionals not being paid for the work they're doing on streaming, essentially allowing these, the, the AMPTP and these other studios to make enormous amounts of money off their work and not pay them for it. And then, and, and all we see are these these out of touch billionaires saying we're going to starve them out. We're going to make them lose their homes. Lose their houses, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all these absolutely ridiculous, twisty mustache villain esque things of cutting down trees and tearing up sidewalks to break the strike and not doing it months down the road. You know, doing it right away. Right away. Everybody's feelings Mm -hmm. are right up at the top. Everybody's super angry. And all it's done is essentially pour gasoline on the fire. And it just shows how unbelievably out of touch these billionaires are that are running everything, thinking, oh, poor people only have enough money to survive a day. And it's like, fuck you guys. We're going to stay on strike until you get fired for the stock price dropping, which uh, the stock prices for these companies has been plummeting because of all this. And the reversal of Bob Iger coming out and saying, oh, I'm all for ending the strike peacefully now. My guess is that came about because the stockholders of Disney said, hey, you fucked up. You need to sort this out now. Yeah. So it's it's a complicated issue, but it's it's funny. I didn't realize that they had like in good faith said hey if there there's new media stuff we'll we'll get that sorted out i didn't i just was under the assumption that it was like one of those they didn't foresee that and was kind of like well if they don't ask for the money we're not going to give it to them kind of thing well it was at the time i think when that first when the first writers well the, the writer's strike before this mm-hmm. that led to the rise of of um reality tv and stuff like that um I don't think anybody quite understood how big it was going to get. And <clears throat> I'm sure there were people that saw it coming and maybe they planned for it that way, but there's, there's zero excuse to say, Oh, well, we used to pay you guys this way with residuals. Right. We're not going to do that now because why should we give you any money? We have nine homes to pay for. And while people are struggling to pay rent and, pay for food and survive in one of the most expensive economies in the country mm-hmm. in California um, with very high cost of living. It, it's just, it's unforgivable is what it is. It's, it's just this, and I get use the term again, this twisty mustache, like snidely whiplash esque, like villain that yeah. is cartoonish in its way. And it, it's not going to go well for them because the folks on strike aren't showing any signs of slowing down. We're at 100 and I think today, 107 days into the WGA strike. The last one I think lasted a hundred days. Um, and a lot of us are pretty much like, yep, this is going on till past the first of the year. So oh, really? I, yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, David Zaslav of, of, of uh, Warner discovery, he came out and said, well, it's going to end by September because he knows things. He doesn't know how to run a studio, that's for sure. Um, and he certainly can't keep it solvent. But apparently he knows what's going to happen with the strike, which he's wrong because folks like myself and folks like Adam Conover and Fran Drescher, the head of SAG, and all the other folks that are out there striking 
they're not going to back down because if, if, if they back down now and they kowtow to the demands of the AMPTP, no one will ever make a living again. Yeah. They will, they will absolutely twist that to make sure that no one ever makes a living again. And IOTC, uh, the union that I'm a part of, um, their negotiation comes up in the spring. And if the strike is going on to that point, you guarantee IOTC will probably go on strike. Right. And then followed by the Teamsters. And then, I mean, you see everyone going on strike in California in solidarity. Hotel workers are going on are on strike. Uh, the sanitation workers in Los Angeles are going on strike. Everyone, the city is shutting down because wow. of billionaires wanting to just keep their money and screw everyone else over. In the city of Los Angeles, I think the last time I looked at it, they're losing $31 million a day That's crazy. in revenue. Yeah. And eventually, uh, you know, the government may try to step in and hopefully um, they don't do to uh, the the, uh, the Hollywood workers what, what they did to the railroad workers, which was forced them to accept terms. Um, it's it, the whole it's a mess. It's yeah. a huge mess brought on not by what a lot of people have been propagandizing as a bunch of whiny actors wanting more money. It comes down to a bunch of, well, not a bunch, about 10 billionaires who want to be greedy. Yeah. And it's, 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 I see like mainstream media going out of their way, like with just carefully worded headlines to blame everything on the writers and to blame everything on, on the actors guild and to blame the unions for all the, the troubles and trials that are happening, but they're owned by the same billionaires who you right, know, so are, they're not going to bash them. They're not yeah. going to say that. Oh yeah, no, it's these rich fucks who don't want to come off a couple of dollars. Yeah, they need to have twenty five. They need they need more money than they can spend in one lifetime for some reason. Yeah, and and the worst part is I I feel like people who don't really follow what's going on look at and I don't I'm not trying to say he's not supporting the actor uh, the actor strike, but someone like The Rock and be like, well, what does he need more money for? He's a multi you know millionaire but it's not it, it, it's the joe schmo it's the background actor that can't afford to go in one day and then never work again i'm friends with a lot of actors uh a lot of people who are actors who are members of 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 sag and to just get uh, like just to qualify for insurance benefits you have to make twenty six thousand dollars a year and most of them don't do that in fact, the vast majority of the actors that I'm friends with, they don't make that much money. You know, they work maybe once a month if they're lucky for one mm -hmm. day and they have another job acting as a second job for them. And most of the membership of SAG, that's a second job. Being an actor is a second job because the the top tier A-list actor make up maybe 1% of SAG. Yeah. So those people that are making millions of dollars, they are the outlier. They are the exception. Whereas the vast majority, those who have another job and can afford to strike until the cows come home, mm -hmm. they're not, you know, acting is not their primary profession. And it's, it's that so many people think that all oh, actors are just a bunch of whiny millionaires. The number of millionaires that are actors or actors who are millionaires is tiny compared to the yeah. number of actors who are just working stiffs like the rest of us mm -hmm. and i'm sure that case in the example of the writers is even more drastic you know oh yeah 
I mean, I know some people that, that, you know, they get on a TV show and they write every episode and then they move from season to season to season. That does happen. And you have writers that are, you know, they, they work and they write one feature, two features a year and they make enough to survive the year. But that's not the vast majority of them. The vast, you know, a good portion of them, they might write one piece a year or two pieces a year that get picked up. Mm-hmm. And even then, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make enough money to survive that month. It's just dependent on the rates and everything else. And the vast majority of writers and members of the Writers Guild, again, a lot of them have gone on to second jobs. I myself, like, I can't, I can't guarantee that this work in the theater is going to pay the bills. So I'm falling back on the trade that I came from. I'm falling back into maintenance. So I'll go back to work. I'll write out the strike until it's over. Yeah, I don't care. I will love to watch the the uh, the sinking ship that is the AMPTP collapse because uh, a whole bunch of shareholders get angry at the loss of money, which they are, you know, losing an enormous amount of money. Uh, Warner Discovery Zazla in a in a shareholders meeting said we saved a hundred million dollars because of yeah. the strike. Well. This is essentially the saying that I saved a lot of uh, a lot of money on healthcare by never going to the doctor, mm-hmm. or I saved a whole lot of ho- housing expenses by burning down my home and living in a box. It's it's a lie yeah. to try and placate these shareholders, but it it also screams of desperation to me. And I could just be talking out of the side of my face here, but um, I consider it to be a positive when I see these people making these outlandish moronic statements because it says to me that they're terrified of what's coming yeah and what's coming is them being unemployed and, and the worst part is for them it doesn't matter you know if they're unemployed no they they'll land so on money. their feet yeah. yeah they'll they'll land on their little silver cloud yeah and and that's fine but perhaps maybe they'll be replaced by somebody who realizes that unions are very strong Mm-hmm. Uh, the unions have an enormous amount of power and the unions can and are shutting down Hollywood. And if anybody in Hollywood in the upper tier wants to make any money, they're going to have to keep the union happy. Right. And I, I tell you the the thing, and this was well before the, as far as I know, the strike was ever thought of, but the thing that made me think twice about what they can do was uh, rogue one. Mm-hmm. when they had, I wish I could remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but uh, Palpatine was in that movie. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, they can put anybody in any movie. Yeah. Because it was done so well. And it was just kind of like, yeah, you don't... I, I'm assuming his um, estate got proceeds from that, but, you know, who yeah. knows? Yeah, they, I know that for like with Carrie Fisher and... Mm-hmm. Um, oh my goodness... Peter Cushing, I think was his name. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, when they when they brought him back, mm-hmm. um, that their estates were paid for that. But that's the exception mm-hmm. to what they want to do. They want to just completely and utterly replace uh, actors. They want to completely and utterly replace writers, which I don't know if they've thought this through to the ultimate ending of when that technology gets to a point where it needs to be or where it can be, is that Someone will create an app that AI generates you a movie, custom generates you a movie, and then we don't need the studios studios anymore. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then they lose everything because 
why the hell would I pay to go see a movie when I can download this app and type in what kind of movie I want to see? And it creates one for me. Right. You know, that is the ultimate end goal there. Uh, or what, you know, the, the ultimate of what, what it could become is someone going, I don't need the studios anymore. Screw you guys. Then Hollywood disappears. Mm-hmm. And then all these billionaires go, boo hoo, where's my money? What happened? Yeah. Uh, and it, they brought it, they brought it upon themselves. That Wasn't is, of so- course, the extremists of it. But yeah. Wasn't someone doing that with like Seinfeld? Like they were doing like AI. I believe generated- so. Yeah. yeah. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're headed that way anyway. Yeah. Um, but the film industry is enormous and it, it, it directly employs and indirectly employs millions of people mm-hmm. across the country and in other countries. And it, it would have a serious impact on the economy if the film industry all of a sudden disappeared. Yeah. And it was, you know, all of a sudden it was just 50 people making all the movies in the world. You know, you need the creatives in this world to create film and to create the film industry and the TV industry. And the importance of it, I think is often understated by those who are, you know, that are against anything for uh, pro strikes that are pro that that are anti-union people, excuse me, because I don't think they realize how much of an impact the film industry has on our society and on our economy and on people's day-to-day lives. And all they want to look at is, uh, oh, they're just whining and crying. They just want more money. They're greedy. Like, no, uh, it, it's, it would be a huge impact on an enormous amount of people's lives if it were to go away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> on a better note, how's the Ursula costume coming? Um, we have all of the tentacles installed. We'll actually be doing uh, a powered up test. Yeah. Um, hopefully by tomorrow. And then uh, it'll be down to skinning it, uh, putting the outside skin on it, uh, which mm-hmm. is actually made out of a scuba knit neoprene uh, to give it an almost shiny look to it. That and can then, be super uh, hot. <laughs> Not like any well, cosplay be, costume well, they'll be, isn't. They'll be, well, all of them are uncomfortable by nature. Yeah. Uh, but this one will actually have two fans in it that will pull air in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a venting system that pulls air from underneath the costume, just along the edge of it, the cool air. Um closest to the ground and then pulls it up into the costume and then there's a fan that actually ejects the hot air so it has an intake and an exhaust uh to pull out to, to it's primarily to keep the electronics cool yeah uh, but it will benefit in helping keep uh keep my wife's lower body at least slightly less horrible uh because i'm sure that she'll be sweating uh like none other in that thing because it's a it's essentially a tent yeah so um but with a metal frame uh, was but, it cosplay that got you into making props? Is that no? It was model making. Actually, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, I, uh, my, I, I've been a model maker my whole life, and um, my dad got me into the hobby, and I became obsessed with uh, movies and movie models, and that progressed into me learning as much about that as possible. Which in the early days of the internet, there wasn't much to be had, so yeah. it was whatever library books I could find. And being a kid growing up in the Midwest before the internet was really a thing, it's very hard to find information about Hollywood. Um, so I, it just it it slowly progressed in from me making models to me make trying to replicate the models I saw on screen to me trying to replicate the props that I saw on screen, and then with more information becoming readily available, wanting to learn more about the how and the why 
mm-hmm. of props, and more importantly, the who, the people that made them. And then all these fun little stories that exist around them and um, these interesting places where they're created, like Earl Hayes Press or History for Hire or ISS Props or um, any of these, the the myriad, the thousands of smaller uh, fabrication shops all over the world that do this stuff for film and TV. And it just, it just became a hobby. That became my fandom. Uh, special effects artists, prop makers, prop masters, art, art directors designers that stuff interested me more than actors did than directors than even the films themselves sometimes and one day i decided to talk about it online <laughs> and it just took and, off yeah and yeah. then it was it was one video was all it took i i posted one video and then that exploded it went viral and um that's that as they say is that um here I am, what, two and a half years into it now. And um, I mean, my a lot of my social media has stagnated. You know, a lot of it does. But I went from working as a blue-collar skilled tradesman, uh, a fact that I'm, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of, of being a skilled tradesman. Um, but also, I went into an industry I never thought I could be a part of because of social media. So, either, I mean, if this is as far as I ever get in my career, just working as a prop master, just working as a prop maker in the industry. I'm not going to cry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's one of those things like I wouldn't think someone you're Chicago based, right? For now. Yeah. Yeah. That um, someone in that area would be able to be part of that industry. Cause I'm like, well, what's in Chicago, but then like here in Massachusetts, I'm, I'm sure there's more of that industry than I realized. Cause there's quite, quite a fair number of movies shot out here there are yeah and and it you know it's not as common as it once was here in chicago there's a lot of in, uh uh productions that have that, that are in chicago but not as many as there once was and i'm i'm just moving out to california when the strike ends yeah so because that's where the work is sure. so uh, and i i have made so many friends out there at this point uh i'm i'm already very connected in the industry now than i ever i'm more than i ever thought i would be so it's it's an easy decision for me to move out there so long as there's work which of course i have to wait till the strike is done for that to happen so for now i'll just go back to work and turn wrenches for a little while and then see what happens nice uh you mentioned earl hayes press and i think that was like i'd seen your channel and when you got into the Earl Hayes press stuff, I was fascinated. Like I couldn't, like I'm still waiting for like more videos to come out. And that's when you shot with um, Adam Savage and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what an amazing location. And it's, it's a, it's sort of a one of a kind place. You know, it's, it's been around for 107 years, mm-hmm. uh, working in the film industry the entire time. And they've really not gotten rid of anything. So you just have shelf after shelf after box after box after box filled with treasures from film's history that in a lot of cases haven't seen the light of day since the production. Because um, yeah. they they made stuff at it, you know, they would make stuff for film and then you wouldn't know if that movie would become a classic or not. They had no idea that this license plate would have such an impact on pop culture so they just made the stuff and when they were done 
they put it on a shelf and they moved on to the next job. So they, it wasn't something that they kept track of. Right. You know, like all, it was just, all the stuff. It was just their job. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was the yeah. job. It was it was their job, their day-to-day job. It wasn't, you know, oh, all of the things from Ghostbusters are on this shelf. No, it was wherever there was space. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been shuffled around a hundred times since then. So there's no organization to it, but they didn't ever need any. Yeah. You know, they didn't expect... Uh, the the popularity of movie props and film ephemera to, to blow up in popularity like it has and people wanting to own pieces of classic film like Ghostbusters or like Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, and I mean, these are two pieces that I pulled out of the archives at Earl Hayes Press. It's the Ecto-1 license plate from Ghostbusters and then uh, the cover for Ooh La La from Back to the Future. Like these are. Oh yeah, rich. I'm like I, I couldn't yeah. even tell what that other one was. Oh sorry, yeah. let me turn oh, the fine. camera up here a little bit. Um, but these are these are originals. Yeah, that were pulled from Earl Hayes Press, and they just gave them to me because they're like, whatever, we don't care. <laughs> we so, have like nine of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and that's the case with a lot of stuff, like like this letterhead from Bigelow Aviation. Yeah, that's Rocketeer. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bigelow's Air yeah. Service, where the fuel truck gets blown up. Um, th- that kind of stuff is everywhere, and and to the you know everyday person, no one really thinks about this stuff as being a part of film. We don't really see it on the screen, but that's Die Hard. Nakatomi Plaza, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's the original letterhead from Die Hard that was made for the production, and I've only found it on the screen once. Oh, that's crazy thousands of these pieces and it just it goes into the you know helping tell the story of how much detail goes into a movie and earl hayes is 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 really the last of their kind that still exists from back in the earliest days of film they were working on movies before hollywood was known as hollywood yeah you know they were working with two guys named harry and jack warner before anybody started calling them the warner the warner brothers right yeah yeah so they like they were best of friends with with Harry Warner and um you know Harry Warner used to hang out at Earl Hayes all the time because him and Earl were buddies. So, so you know you, you, yeah like and there's these direct connections all over the shop to the earliest days of Hollywood and you know that that golden era of Hollywood which has its own it's obscenely dark side to it but those connections to that romanticized idea of Hollywood are still there because of Earl Hayes press. They're physically there because of Earl Hayes. And you you found something from Casablanca. I mean, is any of that that stuff like earmarked to go to a museum of some kind? Like, well, that's like a historic piece. The issue with museums is that museums want it for free. You know, they don't, they don't want Uh, to, they don't want to give Earl Hayes anything for it. Yeah. And that sounds materialistic, but they're a business. Right. That are struggling because of the strike. So that like there have been some overtures from a couple of museums that would love to get their hands on it, but they're like, we can't pay you for it. Like, well, okay, museum, give me some of your stuff for no money. Right. Yeah. And see how that works out. You're going to say no. It's, I understand why museums do that. It's because they don't generally have the funds to make huge purchases, but 
yeah, people offer it as one thing, but just sort of coming out and asking for it for free is kind of a weird thing uh, to me, at least, uh, especially from a company that's trying to survive like so many others are in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. There's so many of these smaller shops all over Hollywood that are concerned and rightfully concerned, uh, not knowing if they're going to make it through the strike because, you know, you have places that have shut their doors entirely. You have a few that have gone entirely out of business. And you have others where the owners are just kind of closing up shop and waiting to see what happens and yeah. not knowing, you know, and then folks like Earl Hayes, who, you know, they are still doing some work for smaller projects, music videos, commercials, stuff like that. But it's it's just they're barely kind of scraping through. And and this is only like, what, three years after COVID shut everything COVID. down. Yeah, because yeah, COVID hurt them and they were just starting to bounce back. And then this. And which is why stuff that I found while I archive are all A's, they're going to be selling it all off yeah. uh, to the, to the general public. People will be able to get their hands on it. Um, partly because well, let's be honest, they need the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, that place is t- stacked to the floor, uh, stacked floor to ceiling uh, with movie props. And they're just sitting there not doing anything. And it's just kind of new old stock. So might as well get rid of it. I mean, you even told a story about, was it the flux capacitor um, blueprints that you found stuffed in a vent or something? Yeah, there was actually one of the pressmen there. His name was Ralphie. Uh, I love Ralphie. Uh, he he was just doing some cleaning and noticed that there was no air coming out of a vent. So he pulled the cover off of it. And apparently someone had thought the air coming out of there was too cold. So yep. they just stuffed some paper down in there. And uh, what they'd stuffed down in there were the blueprints of the flux capacitor. And uh, that's how it survived because somebody needed to block a vent. Yeah. You know? uh, but there's tons of stories like that. There's, uh, what was it? Um, one of the, the Ghostbusters magazine covers, well, like one of the, the production-made magazine covers, uh, they were, I guess they were pulling some stuff down from a window that had been covering a window. Mm-hmm. And underneath layers of newspaper, just like taped up onto the window, was like one of the original magazine covers <laughs> from Ghost. So Hunter weird. <laughs> that they just used the block light. Yeah. You know, but back then they didn't care about this stuff. It didn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, there was no, you know, huge following. There was no massive fan base. You didn't have things like, Alberta Ghostbusters and Windy City Ghostbusters, these yep. fan groups that are absolutely obsessed with everything Ghostbusters. You didn't have that. Uh, so no one really cared. So they were like, we need something to block this light. This magazine cover will do. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, and it's hard to think about things that way. It's hard to countenance that now. But it, that, was, it, that was just like the way it worked. If like you're an accountant and there was just this scrap piece of paper and you'd used it for some purpose to stuff a vent and find out later that that's the key accounting information that led to some big historic thing like it, 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 like you just don't think yeah. about it because you're just like well this is just my job like this well, like, it kind of no, loses and instances like that yeah. we, we we found we found one of the newspapers from citizen kane and oh, and it had up, a really? food order written on it yeah it had a food order <laughs> written on it Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Somebody was ordering like Chinese food and they were getting everybody's order and they just used this newspaper to write it down. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And it, yeah, it's, that's, it's that, that'll probably get framed yeah. at Earl Hayes because that's part of Earl Hayes' history right there. 
Yeah. And it, it's so funny because like I have to do it to my business partner all the time is like, you're so focused on what you're doing work-wise that you forget sometimes that what you do is atypical for work. And I have to stop him every once in a while and go, you know, we're at work right now. Right. And he's like, I know it's so strange. Um, we got to run an event um, two weeks ago on a paddle boat. It's like the sunset cruise. And it takes us like, I don't know, hour of setup time ish. And we get people going, doing their, their art, you know, thing. And then we get to wander around a paddle boat and see the sunset behind like this classic lighthouse. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> like they're paying money to be here and i'm getting paid to be here it's it's just this weird you know i i have i've had so many similar experiences like that i was filming on the deck of an aircraft carrier oh and uh, that's cool and it it just sort of dawned on me like in between takes i was like i'm being paid to be on board an aircraft carrier and and that's that's you know and then i get to leave yeah (laughs) you know I'm playing like, pretend for a living, kind of, you know. Yeah, no, I and I, I'm like, I'm just, I'm, I'm standing here talking about an aircraft carrier that was, you know, that served in World War II and all the way up through Vietnam and all that. I had a kamikaze run into it, and just had all these, uh, you know, take part in all this history, and I'm standing on the deck of this piece of history, and I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. Yeah. What a strange job I. Have. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, we I we um we for one of our other podcasts we got to record a uh ghost hunt in the oldest wooden jail cell in the country. And it's in uh, Barnstable Mass, and it, it literally just looks like a, an old barn, but inside is like carving that some of the prisoners did like while they were there. And at the time they just put everybody like men, women, children, all one jail cell. And there's wow. like, all these intricate like carvings, and, and it was just like you're like, oh, that's cool. And they have to stop and go, wow, that's no, that's really cool. Yeah, it, it survived and it's been fire damaged. It's this like whole story behind it, but um, yeah, it's. Just, I was I was in Edinburgh, Scotland, at uh, uh, the Edinburgh Castle, and they have a door that used to be one of the doors to the jail there uh, that actually held prisoners that were captured at sea uh, during the Revolutionary War. And one of those prisoners carved an American flag, a very early American flag oh, into wow. that door. Yeah. And I'm, I'm standing there staring at that, and I realized that, like, somebody who was, you know, an American, right when that was a brand new thing, got captured probably was from that area or somewhere nearby or had, you know, his dad was or something like that. And here he is in Edinburgh castle 200 plus years ago, carving the American flag into things. Cause that's what you did, I guess. But it was, it was such a cool, like little piece of history right there in that door. And uh, it was also weird to stand in that location and think back to like what that guy did and why he was there and the reasons for it. And, and now, you know, we go back and forth. The people of the UK come back and forth in here. Like we were at war at one time, and this yeah. is a, a artifact of that. And, and now we're just like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My landlady's British. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's. I gotta, yeah, and I, and I love how much you, you're, you're, um, like I find your channel like so informative and like really good stuff. And well, thank you. 
So you yeah, said like so the, it, it's a fun job. It's a weird job, but it's a fun job. Yeah. At what point were you like, okay, this channel, like you said, the first video went viral, but like at what point were you like, okay, now, like, did you, at what point did you feel compelled to make more content as like, okay, this is like a work thing that I have to do? I've never felt that. I've never felt it that way. Oh. I've, 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 I've never sat down and go, I need to make X number of videos in this X amount of time and release them on this schedule, blah, blah. I've never done that. Mm. Um, like I will plan stuff in advance. You know, yeah. some things I'm planning in advance. I'll schedule stuff on occasion. But most of the videos I put out are stuff like, oh, yeah, I remember this thing. I'm going to do a video about it. But I'll get to it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and then I'll do it. Because I don't, uh, social media is not something I make a whole lot of money at. Um, it's It doesn't pay my bills. I don't rely on it. Social media is still a thing that I do for fun because I enjoy it. It's not really a job. Yeah. Um, for me because it's it doesn't pay well you know most i make most of my money from uh, either working productions when that's available or from working another job yeah you know i i'm not you know i'm not one of those people that gets that has corporate sponsorships that send me all over the place i'm hustling for every dime that i need to try to make doing this and occasionally i'll make some money doing it but it's very rare yeah um so for the most part, it's this is just a side hustle. It's not something I do full time. You know, the work that I do with Earl Hayes, that's something I get paid for. Um, the work that I've done for other archives, for uh, Preservation Society, for libraries, that I get paid for. That I make money off of. When I work a production, I get money. Pay I get paid off of that. But for the most part, the rest of it is me working a regular job like everybody else. It's, I, I like that you said that because I feel like... So... I told you when, before we start recording that Inebriar has been around for 12 years now, 12 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's only been since COVID. I got laid off in COVID and been like, well, you know, if I'm going to make this a full-time thing, now's the time. And yeah. so much of it is like, okay, you try this. Does that work? All right. We're going to keep that going. Oh, let's try this other. And it's, it's having like multiple streams of income trying to make sure that, everything stays going at the same time and yeah i don't uh i don't put that much thought into it i really don't um partly because i mean there are certain aspects of it that i don't understand i'm mm -hmm. not gonna lie there are certain parts of social media i don't get um monetizing things uh, some people find it easy to monetize what they do i don't because um so much of what i do is reliant on intellectual property and oh, a lot of people yeah. are a lot of people are scared of IP, so mm -hmm. they won't approach me to do things um, because of that. And also, um, most unfortunately, I've I've been told a couple of times, I've I've reached out to companies to do representation for people at like movie premieres and stuff yeah. like that, and I've been told that I'm too old. Really? That. Yeah, I'm too old. They only want young people at those things. So um, I'm too old. Uh, I, I had one of them tell me that I look too much like a dad. Uh, so um, that's, I mean, it, it's, it's the way of things within the industry. It's all appearance. And apparently I'm, I appear too old for that stuff. So, uh, so be it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they just want young people at those things because that's the ideal audience that they're trying to attract, I guess. So whatever. I don't agree with it. I think it's silly, but yeah. that's them. And they're the right. ones that make the decision. So 
That's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, you always hear that kind of thing in that, the abstract, but I think you're the yeah. first person that I've ever met. I've been like, yeah, they told me I was too old. And yeah, they're like, you're not the words they used where you don't fall into the age demographic that, yeah. uh, that we're trying to promote too. So, which translates into you're too old. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. then it's, it's always like, you know, I think that's part of the great thing about, social media and YouTube and and things like that is you can break those rules and do your own thing and find your own audience. Yeah. And I have, I've been very fortunate that I've, that I have found my own audience that I've found people that are interested in what I have to say. And, and I, when I started doing this, I, I decided right away that I'm not going to jump on every trend. I'm not going to jump on every gimmick. I'm going to tell people about what I like. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to share my nerdery with people. And if they like it, cool. <laughs> if they don't, meh. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to still share my nerddom, my fandom with people and my way of seeing it. And yeah, I do branch off occasionally, but for the most part, when I'm telling stories about things, it's because I really enjoy that thing. Yeah. I really like that piece of that i like that business you know i don't i don't do it because that's the current trend that i'm concerned with going viral i can't be bothered to care about going (laughs) viral i do this because i enjoy it and i'll continue to do it because i enjoy it and and if it becomes something then great and and if it doesn't go any further than this so what you know i've enjoyed the ride yeah continue to do so and i think that um passion comes through in in your 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 genuine that and it reminds me of I used to own a comic book shop and my favorite thing was when someone would come in I hated talking Star Wars but that's a totally different thing but when they would come in and you start talking about like whatever bit of fandom they liked and you kind of had that connection and you're so everyone's so passionate passionate about what they're talking about you know and at the time um my big thing at the time was firefly because i just discovered firefly, oh yeah and yeah. i bore the t- you know anyone to tears be like let's talk firefly there's you know 12 episodes but let's talk about it yeah i know i'm 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 also a huge fan of firefly uh i, I remember seeing the the you know the when it was first aired and wondering what the hell the show's about because they aired it out of order because they didn't know what the hell to do with the show um I've always been amazed by how much people can get out of 12 episodes. Yeah. Oh <laughs> like yeah. How much, yeah. how much love there is for 12 episodes and a movie. Yeah. And of course they're, you know, continuations of the storyline with comic books comic and novels. And stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm the same way with things like, like 40 K Warhammer 40,000. I've been playing Warhammer 40,000 since 1989. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I love, going on about the stupid minutiae of the backstory of 40k even <laughs> though it is utterly unimportant it's important in that moment yeah. with another person who loves 40k uh you know the same with like movie related stuff anything movie history i will nerd out about that and none of that has any import on my day-to-day life but i don't care because i love it and then i try to share that the same way that's that same passion that same love of just this weird little stuff Mm -hmm. on social media and and 
people seem to dig it. So yeah. I'll keep doing it. I, I, I love everything about like the making of movies to the point where when I was married, I'd be like, oh, I just got, you know, the Splatoon, uh, Platoon DVD or whatever. And my ex-wife would be like, you already have that on DVD. I'd be like, no, 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 this one has like, you don't understand. Extra, this, this one has, has three extra commentaries and <laughs> from the, you don't from understand. The, yeah. From the military advisor. We're going to watch that one first. And she's like, we're, we're going to oh, yeah, watch dude, that? Die. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Captain Bill die. Um, that was my wife movie. is just, my wife is, is exactly the same way in so much that she's like, oh, we've watched the movie. We have to watch it again now with the commentary. Yeah. And and I will absolutely let's go. I'm going to go pop some popcorn, throw it, you know, throw down. Let's go. You know, I don't know how many times we've watched the Lord of the Rings extended edition from, you know, Fellowship of the Ring all the way to Return of the King with the commentary on the whole time. We've we've watched it. 10, 15 times in the yep. nine years we've been together easily. And we'll probably do it again soon. Cause, but that's, you know, we both love it. Yeah. And we both love those details and the weird little, the weird little odds and ends that go on in the background. And I love the filmmaking process. You know, it's, it's such an odd, strange world and I'm quite fortunate to be part of it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the strike will end soon and in the favor of those that are striking. I'll be able to go back to work and help make more movies. I'm going to give you uh, a commentary you should check out if you haven't already. Um, mm -hmm. Have you seen Pleasantville? Oh, yes. I know where this is going. Yes. The, I, the music director? Yeah, that's that's oh. actually one of my one so of my, fav my wife's favorite films. And, and since you brought that up, this is actually one of the the first pieces that we ever found at Earl Hayes Press that was instantly recognizable. And it's the decal from the side of the park. Uh, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah. This is one of the, oh. I think there's only like seven or eight of these left. That's amazing. And that's, I that's love one that. of the ones yeah. they made for the fire truck. Yeah. That's that fantastic. Hangs up, hangs up here in my office. Nice. Um, my wife has informed me numerous times that that belongs to her. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I, I want to say thanks for taking the time to talk, man. This was a yeah, lot of fun. Not a problem. It's been a, it's been a nice little conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, please keep uh, keep posting stuff about Earl Hayes. I, I, it's endlessly fascinating. Oh, you know I will. I um, I have all kinds of stuff to talk about. I have some more pieces to film with that I have here at the house, and you know, and uh, it's just I I feel like that's going to be one of those veins of treasure that it's not going to run out anytime soon because there's just so much there and there's so much to explore and um, just getting the word out about it to tell the story because so few people know it exists uh, yeah. or has ever existed. And, you know, and I'm, I'm in the process of actually writing a book about Earl Hayes press about the history of it. And then about the things that have been discovered at Earl Hayes press, just to add to the story of how a movie is made and the detail that goes into it and the level of obsession that prop makers turn uh, into uh, a prop for film that is only on screen for seconds, but it doesn't matter. But the, the level of detail that, that we go to and that this, especially the folks Earl Hayes have gone to, to make some of these amazing iconic pieces is um, I think people would be shocked to find out the level they go to. Yeah. Is there one bit of movie ephemera that is kind of in the back of your mind being like, I hope we come across hmm. something. Yes. Okay. 
Um, one of them is a newspaper. Um, and it's, I know it was made at Earl Hayes Press. Uh, I know that it's their headline. It's their um, stock paper. Uh, it's the newspaper, uh, the only one seen on the screen, like full on front page from the Maltese Falcon uh, that announces the murder of Sam Spade's partner. Yeah. And we know they made it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's in there. You know, uh, they have I, stuff from that era. <laughs> no, they absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. And um, the Maltese Falcon is, uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And to find a piece from the Maltese Falcon would be like Casablanca blew my mind. Finding those pieces from Casablanca absolutely blew my mind because nothing was thought to exist like that. Yeah. And there it is all of a sudden, you know, stuck in a, stuck in a folder in a, in, in a filing cabinet, uh, for 80 years. And then, but to find some pieces from, from the Maltese Falcon would be wonderful and then you know there's the i mean we know chester copperpot's license driver's license was made there uh we know that all the money from his wallet was made there we know that the lou gehrig baseball card was made there because we found it yeah um we found the the original baseball cards made for chester copperpot's wallet um and i want to find all of the pieces for chester copperpot's wallet because i know who made the wallet so because I want to, I want to build a replica of Chester Copperpot's wallet. That, <laughs> that's, that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, to to me, the way people are obsessed with something like Ghostbusters, and I love Ghostbusters. I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up on it, but something about Goonies, man, like that movie connected me. It hits different, doesn't it? It, it was like the movie where I was the same age as the yep. actors. And mm-hmm. it was the first time where I felt like I wasn't being talked down to. No, and and it was I'm in, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I was the, roughly the same age as the actors, and I felt like I was a part of the story, and the story was about me. Yeah, because you're like we I swear got, like that. <laughs> yeah, know? we do, yeah. do exactly the same stuff, and I I watch it, and it and and watching it today, it it takes me back to being a kid again mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So. And I think I think folks our age, we all kind of have that same experience with movies like that, like Space Camp. You remember Space Camp? Oh yeah, yeah. Same thing. I yeah. I watched that movie and I'm like, God, I want to go to Space Camp and accidentally get inside of a shuttle that accidentally gets shot into space. How cool would that be? You know, and have a stupid robot that shakes its leg. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Jinx, you know, right? Like, was it the, Jinx? Jinx. Yeah. yeah I'm like in my head. I'm like half listening yeah. to you being like, what was the robot's name? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I was sitting there trying to think of its name too. But, you know, it's movies like that that, that, like, that got me to love film. Because yeah. you had those movies at that time that were these very human stories. Monster Squad, also, love Monster Squad. Oh, Monster Squad, Scary German Guy. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I love that movie. Um, <laughs> the amount of times me and my friends would just walk around and be like, my name is Horace. Horace, yeah. <laughs> such a good scene yeah oh wolfman's got nards yeah oh there's a lot of fun memories there but and that's that's uh, the nostalgia of those films is also really great because we get to think back to all these fun lines and and these one-liners that come from these movies and you know it just drives my passion for movies that much more you know because i i want to be a part of something that someone looks back on 
and has that sense of nostalgia about. Oh, you know, yeah, to, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to work on something like that, that, you know, when I'm, when I'm working on it, I'm never going to know. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to know until 30 years later if it's become a thing. And I'll, by then I'll be an old man, you know, but it would be, be it, it, yeah, it, it'd be someone cool would be amazed. And you've been like, I've been using that to prop up my table. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know what? That's probably what will happen is yeah. like, if I end up making something that's hyper iconic, like some, you know, a Maltese Falcon of props, somebody's going to be like, Oh my God, you made that. Do you know what happened to it? Uh, we keep it in the bathroom on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so much of that stuff has survived because of things like that. Um, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, the death star survived because it was used as a trash can in a honky tonk. So you oh, know. I didn't know that. That's an amazing story. Yeah. The, the original death star model, um, when they were in storage, the production company didn't want to pay for the storage anymore or the storage company was going out of business. So they just threw a bunch of stuff away. And one of the guys that worked there was like, this big ball thing, I think it's cool. I'm going to take it home. But he didn't have room for his apartment in California. So he took it to his mom's house in Missouri. And she put it outside of her antique store for like 10 years alongside the highway in Missouri. Oh, my God. That's and crazy. Then, I'm so And crazy. then she, and she sold it to an uh, uh, this honky-tonk, uh, country western honky-tonk. And, and uh, by the time it was recovered from there, it was full of trash and dip spit from being used as a spittoon and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah but now it's you know gus lopez owns it today and yeah. uh it's immaculately restored and it sits mostly in most of the time in the foyer of his house under glass but uh but yeah it survived because it got used as a trash can that's, that's a very simplified story of what actually happened to it yeah but, um but they, it's just it's like when you tell people that that's how this crap survived, you know, it, it adds this whole other layer of mystique to these things. Like there's only one surviving costume of Errol Flynn's Peter Pan or not Peter Pan, um, Robin Hood. Yeah. And it was, it survived because somebody pulled it out of a dumpster. <laughs> that, that's it. That's yeah. the only reason it's still around is because somebody pulled it out of a dumpster. You know, there's, there's so much stuff that, that, pieces of hollywood history that survived because of that because someone pulled it out of a dumpster or somebody stuck it in a box or they put it in their lunch box and took it home or they just stole it you yeah. know that's the only reason that a lot of this stuff survives and because uh, you know up until recently hollywood didn't care about props they would just throw them in the garbage right you it know they were just excess trash yeah when a production was done toss it who cares you know, when Goonies was over, the Inferno that they made almost full size, they used they sent parts of her off to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride to be restored, and the rest of it they disassembled and destroyed. Yeah, you know. But what do you do with something that big? You can't keep yeah. everything. And so. that's one of those things is like you take the chance and be like, well, we're going to save all the props from this movie. And good luck. The movie doesn't <laughs> even do something as well as bomb. It just kind of goes down middle of the road, and people see it and forget about it. And yeah, there's have all this crap that you don't need. And and you start to see it now that productions are, you know, for a long time, they've been just selling stuff off, you know, yeah. costumes and props. They've just been selling it off to these auction houses that then sell it off to, to collectors. But still to this day, I mean, you have like Disney, especially, they're well known for it, that when a production is done, everything has to be accounted for and everything goes into storage or gets destroyed. And there has to be witnesses to its destruction. You know, they, they don't want it getting out in private hands. So 
very little of the new Star Wars films has ever gotten out into private hands because Disney is so strict about this stuff because they know what it's worth. They know right. its value and they have a very extensive archive that they keep. So yeah. in fact, they, they were one of the first to really start archiving stuff. I think MGM was really the first company to archive its pieces, which led to the massive 1970 MGM auction and uh, where the, the, the world's only pair of Ruby slippers got sold. And then a day <laughs> later, somebody was like, but I have a pair and I yeah. have a pair. Magically, yeah. several other people had pairs of them. So, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a whole other story that would take hours to tell, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how this crap has survived and telling those stories is fun, uh, yeah. which has led to me being here. That's awesome, man. Well, I hope the strike ends soon. Same. And I hope everyone gets back to work. Um, mm -hmm. mostly because I like to watch content and nothing good is going to come out for a while. Um, I mean, you'll get good stuff that comes out for a while, but you won't see anybody promoting it. Yeah. And anybody that does promote it's a scab. So, um, you know, I'm like, I am not SAG and I'm not WGA, but I'm not about to cross those lines. No. So, um, so you won't see me promoting anything. I'll be doing older film and cosplay related stuff and, and generic builds and stuff like that. But I, I can't do anything that promotes newer film just because I stand with my brothers and sisters in the WGA and SAG. That's I think that's where everyone should be. Um, yep. You did mention on one time that people shouldn't stop their subscriptions to streaming services. Is um, that something that's still that is that's something that uh, the the unions haven't asked for yet. Yeah. Um, I have made the personal decision to uh, get rid of uh, Disney because they're hiking up prices and doing the stupid like you can't share passwords garbage that Netflix did. Uh, and I canceled that when I, when that happened, because I'm, I, I went to streaming services because I was tired of paying for cable TV and streaming services have just become cable TV. Cable now. TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause now it's like, Oh, there's different tiers with commercials and it's like, I stream stuff. So I don't have to see commercials. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I will pay for streaming services if they're convenient. Mm -hmm. And if they're not too expensive and if I'm not having to deal with commercials, otherwise DVDs still exist and there's always the bay that holds pirates. So just <laughs> I guess we'll end on that one. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe edit that part out. Okay. All right. <laughs> the Pirate of the Caribbean sequel. <laughs> yeah. Pirate of the Caribbean sequel. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you so much. Um, this is an absolute pleasure. Uh, it was yeah. great to geek out with you and um, yeah please stay in touch and, and we wish you the best same to you thank you for taking the time I really do appreciate it and um, I'm, I'm gonna can I can I can I plug something real quick oh absolutely yeah sure sorry yeah. okay uh, so here shortly Earl Hayes Press uh, is going to be selling off its collection of props that I have been archiving um, and all of those announcements for that and the websites for it will all be uh, on my social media, particularly my Instagram, uh, which is at props to history. So if you want to get a piece of film ephemera, film history, like one of these license plates or the cover from Ooh La La or something from the a Rocketeer or Die Hard <laughs> or whatever, yeah. just follow me on Instagram at props to history or any other social media. Uh, it's all props to history. I'm a one trick pony. Yeah. I mean, people should follow it anyways because it's a lot of fun. I agree. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. Have a good day, buddy. You too. Cheers.
And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.